You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that knows how to but get right in on the elbows and you and sometimes on Tuesdays. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And we have a special episode today in honor of Banned Book Week, where we're going to be talking about books that should be banned. No. 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 Why? Did you have one in mind? My show prep is meaningless. <laughs> What books should be banned, RJ? We'll get into that. You didn't have anything in mind for that joke. You weren't ready. Way to think on your feet. Stop looking at my bookcase. August Moon. What's it about? I'm RJ. Yeah, we got that. We have a very special delivery this week. What do you mean delivery? Episode. Deliver the fuck do you mean special delivery? To your podcast machine. We're going to be talking about Banned Book Week, um, the history of Banned Book Week, some famous banned books, some extremely weird reasons that books have been banned, and then we're just going to get into like some weird, heavy shit, because you know, that's what we do here on Ono oh Lit Class. We get down, we get serious, we dive into those literary issues, usually dick first. This year, Banned Book Week falls on the week of September 24th. So, RJ, why don't you get us started on the history of Banned Book Week? Happily. But I'd rather you call me by my real name. Tread lightly here, champ. <laughs> Sweet Lips. Yeah. Should we, should we redo the intro? No. I'm Megan. He's Sweet Lips. So, Banned Books Week. It's now an annual campaign held by the American Library Association and Amnesty International to celebrate the freedom of reading what one wants, while also attempting to raise awareness about banned and challenged books worldwide. The campaign is held during the last week of September and began in 1982. So, Banned Book Week is much older than Megan. What do you mean much older? Much older than It's Megan. older than you too. But much older than <laughs> Megan. Yeah? Yeah. My lips are still spry and just as sweet as the day I came out. I want to die. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> now, Megan. RJ, sweet lips. Eh, you better choose one. One must wonder if it's mere coincidence that this campaign tends to overlap with the campaign of libations and freedom, known as Oktoberfest. Because if there's any group that seems aligned with book nerds, it's beer snobs. Are you just saying that because we're both those things? I'm neither of those things. That's a dirty lie, and you know it. Also, you know, unrelated, why the fuck is Oktoberfest in September? This is stupid, and I hate it. <laughs> but we know the answer to this. <laughs> no, but it doesn't make sense in America! You mean it's in Germany that, what, the weather's better in, so that they had it in October, but the weather's better in September? We lead into October Well, the then right call, call it Septemberfest! But it's too cold to celebrate in October in Germany. That's what I'm saying. So call it Septemberfest. But it was originally done in October. I hate this. I hate everything about it. 
You just want to limit the fun other people have. No, I want it to be properly labeled. Septemberfest. Octoberfest. Get, get, no. That begins in September. So, Judith Krug is the individual who organized the first Band Books Week back in 1982. The week started as an American tradition, like the best traditions do. Hey. What? Don't, don't let me stop you. Until Amnesty International got on board. Now, as we will discuss, while the American and international parts of Band Book Weeks overlap, their goals are generally different. In the U.S., books are not banned. Rather, the focus on the U.S. campaign is to highlight books that are challenged by students, parents, teachers, and government officials that had been placed in public school libraries. The international wing of Banned Books Week, while also focusing on challenged books, focuses on outright bans of books in countries like Azerbaijan, China, Cuba, Egypt, Gambia, Iran, Myanmar, Russia, and Sri Lanka. But yes, yeah, so the idea of what a banned book means is not quite what you think. As we said, that it mostly just means like challenged here in the United States, where you know someone just went like, "No, don't like it," and everybody else went, "Okay." Banned books international is a little more serious than like you know, LOL. Right wingers want to ban this book because it says "fuck," and it's more like you know, people are being fucking murdered if they're seen like reading in some cases let alone reading this specific book holy shit so different levels in seriousness generally the reaction to banned books week is positive the people who dislike the week especially domestically tend to be part of different right-wing christian organizations that argue the week is misnamed and the whole event paints the wrong picture of the situation at least so they want to ban bans books or (laughs) they want to ban banned books week they want to re- uh, ban Books Week to be renamed. <laughs> that they, they say that it's misnamed, it's a misnomer, or that the event paints the wrong picture for the situation here domestically in the U.S. For example, the American Christian right organization called Focus on the Family challenges Ban Books Week, claiming that books really aren't banned in the U.S. Really, there there's only one thing in the U.S. when it comes to literature and images that is outright banned. Can you guess what that is, Megan? I want to take a shot in the dark and say child pornography. That's the one. Nailed it. Banned Books Week. It's also, you know, it's banned books that we feel celebrate liberal and progressive values week, which is accurate because you've got these fucking nut job groups like the Parents and Friends of Ex-Gays, a group that supports and promotes conversion therapy being like, hey, now, what about banned books about how gay people are terrible and going to hell? Why aren't we celebrating those banned books? Fucking yikes. Uh, So, the right-wing groups say, and I'm going to quote one of them here, uh, Nothing is banned, but every year this organization attempts to intimidate and silence any parent, teacher, or librarian who expresses concern about the age appropriateness of sexually explicit or violent material for school children. Um, One of these very dangerous books that groups have challenged is a book called Antango Makes Three. Oh yeah, these sexually explicit hot, steamy story of two penguin dads that adopt a baby penguin. Its name is Tango. It's lurid and filthy. Correct. Or as you could say, it's, quote, a promotion of homosexuality to six or seven-year-old children against their will. Yep. You're basically mashing the book into little Timmy's face and being like, these penguins are gonna make you gay! Now, that tends to be the 
right-wing organization approach to Ban Book Week, but even people who are center or left the center in American politics also criticize Ban Book Week for conflating public libraries with school libraries and for the seeming hypocrisy of Ban Book Week for championing the First Amendment, but generally only doing open readings or creating events around texts that are considered more progressive or leftist. So yeah, like I said, book books that we feel, or whoa, that there's a bug. Fuck. Oh, you want to ban the bug, huh? <laughs> ban bug week. Um, it could be Gregor. <laughs> Gregor grew wings. Yeah. He drank a Red Bull. Very, this episode of, oh no, what class? Oh no, no. Brought to you by no, Red Bull. No, we're not even Red Bull. We're not doing that. It gives you wings. <laughs> <laughs> want to get away. <laughs> From you, mostly. Drink a Red Bull and fly away. Drink a Red Bull, get a heart murmur, go on a journey. As you were saying. So yeah, you've got things like, you know, you know what else is banned in a whole bunch of places? Like, the majority of Europe? <laughs> fucking Mein Kampf. <laughs> we're not gonna do a fucking Mein Kampf reading, but it's a banned book. <laughs> so, in short, that is what banned books week is. And so probably one thing that I knew I was curious about, and maybe you might be curious about as well, is what we hear about this stuff a lot, that people are challenging books, like books with penguin dads. And so what happens with that? And basically, what is the law in the U.S. when it comes to banning books or censoring books, specifically from school libraries? Archie's going to put on his lawyer hat now. There is no such thing as a lawyer hat. Yeah, it is. Okay, wait, what about your, is it lawyer wig? No, yeah, the I'm not British. Like the yeah. I'm not a barrister. Dude, barrister wig. Archie's going to put on his fluffy white barrister wig. Archie's going to put on his Ruth Bader Ginsburg Halloween mask. Oh, does that have to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Does that have to be Ginsburg because I'm Jewish? Yes. Yeah, I can't be Clarence Thomas. You could be Clarence Thomas. That's, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. <laughs> shit, you, you tricked me. You tricked me. Just you know, be whatever Supreme Court justice you want. Be the Supreme Court justice of your dreams. Justice Frankfurter. That's his name. <laughs> okay, I, I believe right. you. So as you can imagine, the rights of students while at school have been fertile ground for the U.S. Supreme Court and cases they've heard. Generally, schools and those who have been put in charge of schools have pretty broad discretion about what happens inside of schools. Now, one of the big cases on the issue of students' right comes from 1969, which some of you may remember or know, was during the civil rights of people in the United States, which happened to coincide with what is known as the Warren Court period in the U.S. Supreme Court. At the time... The U.S. Supreme Court was presided over by Chief Justice Earl Warren, a staunch liberal who presided over a liberal majority on the bench. There is a reason a good number of progressive cases come from the late 1960s. Anyway, in 1969, the court heard a case captioned as Tinker versus Des Moines. In short, students at a public school in Des Moines wanted to wear black armbands to protest a Vietnam War effort. The principal threatened the students with expulsion or suspension if they followed through. The students followed through, and they were either expelled or suspended, and then they sued. In the end, the court sided with the students on a 7-2 decision. The court held that, absent any evidence that a rule was needed to ban black armbands to avoid a, quote, substantial interference with school discipline, that students could not be barred from wearing the armbands. Famously, in the decision, the court said, students do not, quote, shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. No? 
kids are getting suspended from school based on haircuts they got uh, nowadays. Uh, might cause a substantial interference. Yeah. 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 They could sue. They could it's challenge. It's a very interfering haircut. Well, got you got to remember there's a difference between public school and private school. And a lot of that stuff happens at private schools. And private schools are private. They're going to make the rules. It's kind of like the First Amendment when people complain, oh, so-and-so got fired from their job. The job ain't the government. All right. Fine. You're right. Now, we all know that students cannot just say or do anything while at school. So we're left with trying to figure out then where's the line, but more specifically and more importantly for this episode, where does that leave us with what books can be challenged and removed from schools? Well, surprisingly, book removal is not actually very fertile ground for the U.S. Supreme Court. The last big case on the matter is captioned as Island Trees School District versus Pico, which was heard by the court in 1982. So we're talking about a case from 35 years ago. The year that Ben Books Week began. There you go. Mm. Uh, so, Island Tree School District is a district in Long Island, and back in the 80s, the school board wanted to re- remove books that were, and I'm quoting here, anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and just plain filthy. Dirty, filthy books. Specifically, the school board wanted the books to be removed from high school and junior high school libraries. Librarians and students were upset and sued the school board. Among the books the school board wanted to remove were Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, Best Short Stories for Negro Writers by Langston Hughes, Black Boy by Richard Wright, A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich by Alice Childress, and A Reader for Writers, edited by Jerome Archer. So this is one of the rare Supreme Court cases where, in the end, there was no majority, but just a plurality. What this means is that the case is not binding going forward. So if this issue is ever raised again, the Supreme Court could look back at this case, but it would basically treat it like an advisory opinion. Anyway, the plurality of the court wound up siding with the librarians and the students. The books were allowed to remain. However, the holding is specific as to removing books from school libraries simply because you don't like what the message is. The plurality states, and I'm quoting here, Nothing in our decision today affects in any way the discretion of a local school board to choose books to add to the libraries of their schools. Because we're concerned in this case with the suppression of ideas, our holding today affects only the discretion to remove books. In brief, we hold that local library boards may not remove books from school library shelves simply because they dislike the ideas contained in those books and seek by their removal to prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion. Such purposes stand inescapably condemned by our presidents. But this obviously leaves open other avenues for books to be challenged and removed from school shelves, although it does put a big hurdle in the way of such challenges. How else can you substantiate a challenge to a book without relying on, to quote the court again, politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion? Oh no, lit class. Come for the dick jokes, stay for the exciting legal briefs. Yeah. Uh, As such, this is not really a lively issue for the court system anymore. Usually these kinds of challenges, when they do pop up, are more about posturing or getting a groundswell of support, not actually about getting books off the shelves in this way, as they tend to be rather ineffective in the end. It's just to be showy. It's to throw your weight around. Right, which gets back to the whole idea of Banned Books Week in the U.S. No books are really getting banned. It's to keep people who are complaining about books quiet. Or putting a spotlight on them for being... For, for being bitchy about a fucking children's picture book about two dude penguins who adopt a little baby penguin. 
Because, you know, other people would rather that penguin just died than, you know, be raised by two dirty homo penguins. Which then, in the end, ironically gives those people a platform by pointing out the problem. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> So, Megan and I put together a list of books that are restricted or banned by governments elsewhere throughout the world. Um, I just wanted to run through my list first, and Megan might talk about hers, and then we'll... Well, yeah, my, my list is different different kind of list mine mine tends to focus more domestically and about crazy things i mean i feel like before we talk about the ones that you're talking about about like governmental stuff i mean when you think of banned book week you're thinking of probably some like obvious famous books that have been challenged or banned like catcher in the rye because he tries to have sex with a prostitute and says fuck once lord of the flies because it i guess it shows that british boys are actually just evil Brave New World, and many others that are actually already on our episode list, such as The Handmaid's Tale, The Great Gatsby, 1984, Their Eyes Were Watching God, and Things Fall Apart. But uh, yeah, so RJ, go ahead and mention books that have been banned so around books, the world. So books or printed materials are outright banned to some degree in every country, um, but what's banned varies wildly from one country to another. For example, Sweden prohibits the publication of what they consider hate speech. Anti-Semitic texts like the Protocols of Zion are banned in Russia, and in the United States, as we already talked about, the only real outright ban that generally exists is what we deem as child pornography. But here are some notable texts that are outright banned or just heavily regulated in some countries today. American Psycho is actually heavily regulated in Australia. You can only distribute the text to those who have attained the age of 18 or higher. Huh. So if you're under the age of 18, you cannot borrow the book from the library or buy it. Yeah, but it's, it's Australia. You might be killed by the wildlife before you ever make it to 18. Then you'll never know. The genius <laughs> of Brett Easton Ellis. Uh, <laughs> air quotes. Oh, <laughs> um, Animal Farm. Banned in the United Arab Emirates, North Korea, and Vietnam. For the United Arab Emirates, the ban is based on the fact that pigs talk in the book, which the UAE claims is an image that goes against the country's Islamic values. No word on what they think of Babe Pig in the City, a highly underrated film that was snubbed for at least three Oscars. <laughs> There's a book, uh, some little book, I, I think I came across it once in a hotel. It's called The Bible. Mm, never heard of it. You can't get it in North Korea. Also, in Russia, you can't get the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. They banned that bad boy. I guess they kept knocking on their door asking if they heard of it, and they were just like, no, get rid of it completely. Uh, the Da Vinci Code. That's banned in <laughs> Lebanon as... Uh, it's only banned in Lebanon? Uh, oh, look who's banning the bug now. Dead. Look who just banned the bug with his <laughs> fist. It's gross. So the book is banned in Lebanon as the book is deemed to be offensive to Christians. Now... I agree the book is offensive to Christians, but only because I think the book should be offensive to everyone. Oh, no. People in Lebanon will never get to know the joy of the Da Vinci Code. Mo Malaysia banned Fifty Shades of Grey, deeming the text a sadistic threat to morality. I feel bad for the people in Malaysia because they will never know the memes or the jokes the trilogy contains. Oh, they're never going to know about Christian Grey's sex genes. A book titled Shindor's Ark which is what the movie Schindler's List is based on, is banned in Lebanon because of its positive depiction of Jews and their list-making abilities. What the fuck is going on in Lebanon? Apart from, I guess, bad, bad times. Similarly, Jews are also portrayed too positively for Lebanon in the book Sophie's Choice. 
So it also got the ban hammer. Positive Jewish representation. <laughs> a testy subject worldwide. Mm. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that the controversial writer known as Jackie Collins. Yes, that Jackie Collins. That Jackie Collins. Yeah, who writes those milk toast uh, affair tales. Do you not know Jackie Collins? Is, is it the ones with like the Fabio on the cover? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like the Harlequin kind of novels. Yeah, okay. the, the, the foil to Danielle Steele. Gotcha. She has a book banned in Australia called The World is Full of Married Men for Being Just Too Pornographic. <laughs> what the hell? It's too much. I feel like I'm learning new things about Australia. Yeah, they're uh, touchy. Yeah, I guess so. There is one thing that I discovered. Oh, no, there's another one. There's another one. It's still alive. <sighs> Gross. It's alive. <laughs> that you didn't mention that I, I just, there is something specific about it st- stood out to me and tickled me, which is uh, back to Malaysia. So there's a book called... Motherfucker. There's a book called Motherfucker? <laughs> that would be banned. <laughs> it's a bug. So there's a book called Mask of Sanity by Jacob M. Appel or Apple. I don't know. It just came out this year, and it was preemptively banned in Malaysia for blasphemy. Now, I like that one, that they didn't even wait for it to come out. They were just like, don't even bring that shit in there. So, like, how do they know it's blasphemous? <laughs> well, I will say, and, and during my research, I saw some countries have just outright banned authors, and maybe he was already banned. It's no matter what he comes up with. Excommunicado. Mm. Do you want to hear the plot? Sure. Just a quick uh, quick s- synopsis. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Ballant is an up-and-coming cardiologist who discovers that his wife, Amanda, is having an affair with his fellow physician, Warren Sugarman. He's also a high-functioning sociopath. Ballant sets out to murder Sugarman and to disguise the murder as a serial killing. Which really sounds more boring than blasphemous, so, you know, go figure. So, books get banned for a lot of reasons. Positive depictions of Jews. <laughs> yeah. Uh, books that challenge a status quo or a popular way of thinking are often banned at the time because they scare the shit out of people. Books that people decide are just, you know, just too much for the children, as we also previously discussed, get banned. Which I personally think is pretty funny because I think a kid may have, like, no interest in reading a book. But if you say, no, you can't read this book because it's banned, because it's just too dangerous, immoral, and possibly even filthy for you to read. Suddenly that book sounds way more interesting, and they're probably way more likely to read it now, where before they might have just ignored it. You ban, like, The Scarlet Letter for being terrible and full of sin, and kids would clamor to read it, only to be deeply disappointed. So what you're telling me is all these people telling kids not to read in Tango Makes 3 really, maybe down deep, want the kids to read in Tango Makes 3. Because they know by saying, okay, kids, you shouldn't read Tango Makes 3. The kid's going to read in Tango Makes 3. I think you're giving them too much credit. It's like Dare, right? Like, everyone remembers Dare. Hey, kids, don't do drugs. Maybe they wanted everyone to do drugs. They knew deep down, don't do these drugs because they're... Well, but then that was don't do these drugs, not because they're so dangerous and cool and immoral it was more like you know you'll end up dead in an alleyway but i guess that was kind of just like hmm go on what did dare stand for uh, drug awareness something something dare to be shit. different I, I for, for when, when i was in fifth grade it was dare to resist drugs and violence so it wasn't uh-huh. even just drugs it was just violence in general i see and um actually off topic but 
I, I had no a fr- Michael Bay movies for you. <laughs> I had a friend who specifically enjoyed getting super high while they were wearing their old Dare T-shirt from grade school. <laughs> there you go. Getting high is wrong. It's don't don't do drugs, kids. Don't do dr- don't stay 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 in drugs. Don't do school. Shit. Stay sober. Stay- Stay sober. You don't get pulled over. <laughs> click, click it or take it. I'm drinking. Books are banned because someone reads one and goes, I find this distasteful and frankly can't imagine a world where anyone might feel differently from me. This book shouldn't exist. Sometimes books like Fahrenheit 451 are banned because censors have a surprisingly keen sense of irony. That's what I think you would want to talk about. Is like when books were actually, you know, banned. Like when 1984 was actually banned. Or Handsmaid's Tale was actually banned. banned. They were actually banned. Yeah, well, you didn't and bring they brought that them back. Well, here's the reason why. Because what I wanted to talk about, oh. once we went through like the depressing things like books that uh, have positive depictions of Jews can't be read in this country, and, you know, legal, legal jargon, I want to talk about that sometimes there are perfectly normal books that aren't revolutionary or sexy or interesting that are banned just because people are indescribably, indefatigably, indefatigably, indefatigably stupid. Just a stupidity as infinite and unending as the limitless horizon. So, let's start off with... Now, to be fair, I guess this is not an ordinary book. This is a book that has been challenged in many different contexts, but this context in particular is very interesting, and that is The Diary of Anne Frank. Now, this, oh, that's the, a sexy book. Yes, this one has been challenged by people because she talks about a sex. Because she's a teenage girl. She's fucking locked up in an attic with her family. She's full of hormones. She's got nothing to do with them. She's got that one guy, Peter, and she's just kind of like, God damn it, what do I do with this pent-up puberty energy? You get a mirror and you check out your vulva. Yeah, well, again, locked in an attic. What the fuck else is she going to do? But no. In this case, the Alabama State Textbook Committee in 1983 challenged it for being, I quote, a real downer. We shouldn't be giving the diary of Anne Frank to kids in schools because it's such a bummer, you know? You really just want to harsh these kids' vibes, man? No. (laughs) Apparently not. In 1985... Challengers at Cunningham Elementary School in Beloit, Wisconsin, said that A Light in the Attic, you know, a book of fun children's poems by Shel Silverstein, encourages children to break dishes so they won't have to dry them. And we can't have that. We can't have Shel Silverstein and his fucking dish-breaking agenda infecting our children's minds. There's a whole bunch of Shel Silverstein books they wanted to get rid of. Wasn't he Margaret the Spy? Or is that someone else? No, Okay, there's like three different things there. It's Harriet the Spy, spy. Margaret the Spy, um, and that was not by Shel Silverstein. I assume you're also conflating like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, which is by Judy Bloom, and has been challenged because it talks about getting your period. Oh, no, I know that definitely was, but I know Shel Silverstein popped up on a few of these lists with different books. Yeah, that was the one I just liked in particular because that was such a strange reason. Oh, this one's great because it's a mystery. A Texas school district banned Moby Dick by Herman Melville from its advanced English class lists because it, quote, conflicted with their community values. What does it mean? Dick. Yeah, because it has Dick in the title. I just, I I really want to know what it is about Moby Dick in particular. This is conflicting with our community values. 
But how did Texans feel about whale murder? Could, they probably haven't seen many whales. And definitely not a white whale. Now, if it had been a sperm whale or a blue whale, <laughs> slit that fucker up. The book is about sperm whales, you dumb <laughs> shit. We did this episode! If it had been a blue whale or an orca. Okay. Well, then they'd put it in a tank and make it perform for money. Um, oh, and then they leave it there in the hurricane? Yep. <sighs> well, Lita, no. Is it kind of weird they named the whale Lolita? It's extremely weird. Lolita is another frequently challenged and banned book because it talks about a creepy pedophile man. Um, Who really is into whales. No. <laughs> no Young, nubile <laughs> whales. Oh, My favorite man, that, chapter. That would have been a way more interesting book than Lolita actually is. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the thing that people miss the point in a lot of these things is, like, the creepy pedophile man is not venerated in the book. He is not a hero. He's... He, he, He's a bad dude. After recently watching Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, yeah, I think there should be a reimagining of Lolita where they make the movie of <laughs> it's the same plot, same mind. It's, it's just an orca. And it's just Free Willy. And it's never explained. It's, it's like, just normal. It's like Free Willy if he wanted to fuck the whale. Lolita. Oh, jeez. I think it works. That is a really terrible thing to name. To really to name anything... But it's a whale especially. It's just perplexing. A Colorado library put Roald Dahl's, Roald, Roald Dahl's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory in a locked reference collection. With the, you, know, you need the special key to get the special book. Because the librarian thought the tale of Charlie Bucket and his tour of a candy factory embraced a, quote, poor philosophy of life. What philosophy? Like, that the bad kids get sent to, like, the candy sewer of torment? Or that it's okay to enslave a race of orange people with green hair. <laughs> or that a bunch of grandparents can all live in a bed together. That one's weird. Like, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, the slavery of the grandparents in the bed. <laughs> not, not a good message to children. <laughs> Maybe not. My Friend Flicka by Mary O'Hara. Yeah, that one. Flicka, the horse. Yeah, the horse. Yeah. Not the whale. No. The other uh, animal. Yeah. It's Flick Flick, a story of a girl and and her horse, and it's very pure, and it's very wholesome. But you know what? It has the word bitch in it in reference to a female dog. Like, not even someone being called a bitch. Like, just literally, like, the technical word for a female dog. And as we learned at this past Westminster Dog Show, is still in use in the professional field today. You wanted to judge a dog, um, basically... Proving that it could do the job for which it was bred. So why did Duffy stand out to you tonight? This bitch epitomizes type. Yeah. No. Gotta get rid of it. A couple more recent ones. Charlotte's Web was banned in Kansas in 2006 because, quote, talking animals are blasphemous and unnatural. Which honestly just gives me, like, the amazing visual of Charlotte following up her some pig message with, like, Hail Satan. Nothing you want to add to that? Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Okay, this, this one, this one is delightful. The children's picture book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? by Bill Martin Jr. was banned in Texas. Oh, Texas. In 2010. Because the author had also written... A book on Marxism. Except no, he didn't. Someone was either too stupid, 
too lazy, or the perfect storm of both to not do the most basic of fact-checking before banning a children's picture book, or else they would have learned that the Marxist writer was a completely different dude who also just was named Bill Martin. My god. Like, this was 2010! Google was a thing! (laughs) There's no excuse! Maybe not in Texas yet. It's a pretty big state. (laughs) Yeah. In 2010, what a year, uh, a school district in California banned the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. They banned the dictionary. Ask me why they banned the dictionary. Why would you ban the dick dictionary? It's a great question, Sweet Lips. They banned it because it had the definition for oral sex, and some kid found Cunnilingus. it. That's what we would call a synonym. Which word are we talking about then? We're talking about they found the definition for oral sex, like oral sex. Mm. And some kid found it and learned what oral sex was. Here's the definition oral stimulation of the genitals. If you're nasty. God forbid a kid goes in the dictionary and, and learns the technical definition for oral sex. What will we do? This, the country will come crashing down around us. Now, here's a good one. The very first Where's Waldo by Martin Hanford. Why do you think they banned Where's Waldo? Just give me, give me some of your best guesses that you can think of. He's wearing red. Like a dirty commie? Yeah. Well, no, that's not why. It's too positive towards Jews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where's Waldo just depicts Jews in too much of a positive light. He's, nah. he's so good at hiding. <laughs> like the chameleon Jew. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Okay, um, no. Even though, you know, it's hard enough to find fucking Waldo on these pages, but apparently someone found on one page on a, in a crowded beach scene, there's a woman sunbathing, topless, and if you find her, you can see, presumably while squinting behind a magnifying glass, a little bit, a teeny, tiny side boob. Who knew where's Waldo was so hot? Me. I jerked off to that page like ten times a day. You couldn't even think of it when I said, why would Where's Waldo be banned? I didn't want to admit to it. (laughs) But now I've been found out. I gotcha. All these memories are rushing back. You are so disgusting. And I mean, who goes to the beach wearing blue jeans, a knit hat, (laughs) and a long red sleeve shirt? You think he'd be easier to find. Yeah, but then everyone's wearing it. Maybe they had to ban the book. Because people are having aneurysms, like Lewis Black. Like, where the fuck is this guy, motherfucker? And people are dying. Yep. So that had been a book to protect ourselves where's, from ourselves. Whereas Waldo had a body count. Yeah. Look at where. Look at that face. Look at Waldo's face. That's a face that has some secrets. So another thing I kind of want to talk about was books that fall into sort of a weird gray area where we don't really know what the best course of action is. I guess. I don't know. debated books. So, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is an interesting kind of animal. So first... It's a book, not an animal. Thanks. Thanks for that clarification. So, I don't think that Mark Twain was racist. I mean, he probably was at some point. Dude was born in a slave state and his father, who was a judge, traded slaves. So, I mean, like, he probably was at some point, but... I don't think he's racist, even though I think he was. Okay. Well, no. That clarifies it. Continue. In his adult life, his writings, 
both fictional, political, personal, pretty consistently show an anti-slavery attitude. Now, if you've never read the book, I mean, I guess we'll get there at some point, but the two main characters are Huck himself, a plucky kid on the run from his shitty dad, and Jim, a runaway slave. So here's the thing. Jim is the best dude in this book. Like, traveling with him is how Huck learns that, like, slavery is, you know, bad. And I mean, you know, he's a young kid. Like, his whole worldview comes from his aforementioned shitty dad. And then he basically becomes Huck's replacement dad. And it's like, yay! So here's the other thing. It says the N-word! A lot! A whole, whole lot! Because everyone said it back then. So some people are like, you know, fuck no. Get rid of it. We're not teaching it. And like... Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be like, oh, it's just the N-word. Like, obviously not. (laughs) But, like, there's gotta be, like, is there, like, a middle ground before we get to, like, make it so no one can read this book? I don't have an answer. Like, I just, I don't know. The word's still there. (laughs) The word is, well, yeah. (laughs) You give children the context and let them draw their own conclusions, perhaps. And so speaking of context... That's going to get me into two things that I kind of want to touch on, but really just touch on, because one, to go fully into them would be a fucking episode unto itself, and two, fairly privileged whitey, although I'm a lady, and Jewish, still hauling around a fair amount of privilege. To the point, we're going to talk about reading things in the context of their time, and what that might and might not mean, and then we're going to talk about trigger warnings. Did you hear that? That was the sound of me flinching. You triggered yourself? Yeah, I did. I just triggered myself there. Okay, so Huck Finn is a good example of reading in context, because like I said, everybody talked that way like 200 fucking years ago, and it doesn't make it right, but like, it's true. But then like, what are we to do with books like my old oft-mentioned friend Heart of Darkness? I hate it so fucking much. That is absolutely outrightly racist. Joseph Conrad's view of not-white, not-English people is made abundantly clear in the novel, but his shithead views are just as much a product of his time. Right? Maybe? Kinda? I don't know. Well, like, where do we go? How do we approach this? Like, lots of people used to be racist back in the day. Plenty of people are still racist now, today, as we're learning. Um, But lots more used to be because racism and homophobia and etc. were the prevailing views of the time. So, like, what do we do about that when it comes to racist or hateful people who wrote very good books? I don't think Heart of Darkness is one of them, but you get my point. Um, this book is no longer good because this person was, like, a hateful D-bag, or were they like that because of the time and the place that they lived in? Or if it's, you know, a, a good book that has the hateful fucking language in it, you know, how do we reconcile this? Why do we have to? I don't know. Well, because otherwise, what do we do about these fucking books? What are we doing with them now? Uh, sitting there looking at them being like, oh, what the fuck do you do with you? Okay. People still don't know what to do with The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. No, they're there. I, I read it when I was in, uh, something. You read it when you were in something? Yep. I did not. I mean, I've read it, but I, I read it on my own accord. Actually, I read it because, here's your classic example... Because no one was actually teaching it because it was a bad book. And I was like, well, I gotta find out why. And I was just like, oh, this is just like Tom Sawyer. A bit longer. Much, much longer. Yeah? 
and with the n-word yeah yeah and then that kind of leads me down slightly unrelated path of like i don't know maybe i'll cut this later but like it just made me think of like orson scott card and that whole weird thing because he's a horrible, like, homophobic walking shit pile of a human being who wrote, like, some landmark sci-fi books like Ender's Game and I think it's called Speaker of the Dead. And, you know, ironically, they seem to preach messages of, like, understanding and, like, what are we supposed to do with that? Do we say, you know, let's not read these books because the person who wrote them is, like, literally just a human garbage heap or do we take, you know, do we do death of the author and just take the book's message for, like, what it is? I don't know. It just, I don't know if that's really related. It just came up in my brain while I was working on stuff for this episode. We don't read Fountainhead. We don't read Fountainhead because it sucks. <laughs> and actually, you know what I did have to do for, I did have to read Anthem for my summer reading. I don't know what that is. That's a short story by Ayn Rand. Which is the one with John Galt? The Atlas Shrugged. Don't read that one either. I know it's taught, though. Is it? Yeah. I know people who had to read Atlas Shrugged for school. There you go. And God, I feel bad for them. That's a fucking doorstop of a book. Aren't they all? Okay, so, just want to touch on trigger warnings. Just a little bit. It's a phrase with a lot of fucking baggage. And I ain't touching none of it. Because fuck you, you can't make me. But in some ways, it kind of seems like a happy medium to me because, like, here's the thing. The book banning shit works both ways, like we mentioned. Um, Like we said in even the Handmaid's Tale episode, people tried to have the book banned for being too emotionally upsetting, which is a thing I can easily visualize as liberal hand-wringing as much as conservative. But, like, fuck no. People should read that book. So, what do you do? Well, you can warn people. You can say, and... I guess in this case, you, you're a teacher or the front flap of a book. I don't fucking know. Like, hey, heads up. This book has some awful rape scenes in it. And the fact that they're awful is kind of the point. So just be ready in case that's something that fucks you up. All right. Go for it. But you got to read it anyway. Be forewarned. (laughs) You're being forced to read this thing about rape. Are you saying that it shouldn't be taught then? No. But what's the point of warning them? If it's going to affect them, you're forcing them to read it. Or, hey, kids, we're going to read Mark Twain now. Might use some words that you might find deeply offensive and your ancestors might have died because of. But be warned. Be ready. Mark Twain, start now. Okay, so... What's the point of the trigger warning if you're going to force the kids to read the book anyway? As opposed to just being like, here's a book! Yeah, draw your own conclusion. And then they just read it and then with, like, no emotional preparation. Correct. Hmm. I guess it's different when it's books that you're going to read in class because the thing that, you know, I kind of thought of as analogous with that would be, like, movie ratings. That, you know, this movie is rated R for fucking fighting and foul language. But I guess, as you point out, it is kind of different where it's like no one's making you watch the movie where they might be making you read the book. You could give children options not to read the book. I'm not sure how that would look like in a public school classroom. You would then have some kids reading one book, some kids reading another. I mean... And some reading none, but that's kids. <laughs> yeah, kid, my kids ain't gonna read that shit anyway. But that's already a thing that, like, schools do. Didn't you have when you were in grade school that you had, like, the gold learners that they got to read, like, the harder books, and then the silver learners, and they were reading the less hard books? 
I'm thinking of high school. Oh. In high school, no one was reading any of the fucking books. I really don't think many elementary <laughs> school kids or middle school kids are really reading uh, things that are really challenging them, except uh, in Ta- Tango Makes Tango 3. Tango Makes 3. <laughs> so there you go. So you're going to warn the kids? Yeah. Hey. There's some gay penguins in this book, you guys. <laughs> but then you also have to deal with the fact that if you warn kids, they might not want to be open then to changing their mind or seeing other points of view. Well, that's why, I mean... <sighs> That's why I think it's like, okay, we're going to read this because it is important because of what it challenges or what it says or what it does, but you don't know someone's fucking life. You don't know what they might have experienced that makes them freaked out about certain things, and, like, you don't have to. It's not your fucking business, and, like, we can't address everything that might fuck someone up in a piece of fiction because that's, like, literally not possible, but maybe there is something you could do for the biggies. Like, hey, this book we're going to read, it's got some real kind of fucked up racist language in it. Here's why we think it's worth reading anyway. Maybe. But you're, you're already labeling it as racist in that point. I said it has racist things in it, not it's a racist book, that it has oh, racist the, language. But you're saying the language is racist. The N-word is pretty racist. But you're telling me contextually it might not be. Alright. So you want to talk me around in circles. Do you have an alternative? Because I know your favorite thing is, is, to, is to be the mirror... On which my things bounce off and you tell me why I'm wrong. Which is fine. That's why there's two hosts on this show. But do you have an alternative or are you just here to shoot me down? Make children, teenagers, adults take charge of their own education a bit and they can research what it is they're being assigned. Okay. But how does this change the thing that you said of... Well, what if they research it and they see, okay, The Handmaid's Tale is full of, like, really terrible rape scenes. They're still being forced to read it, as you put it. Right, but then they're not being told by the educator, and the educator's not shutting it down. They're shutting themselves down, but if that's their choice, that's what they're going to do anyway. Well, then it doesn't seem to make a difference. If an educator who's in charge of your class tells you, hey, by the way, this is XYZ, they're in charge of that student, and the student's more likely to believe them if a student goes and researches it on their own they draw their own opinion they might decide well, again i'm not talking about saying what kind of book it is i'm saying talking about something like just a thing that happens like it's not a subjective statement of there's rape in this book then they're going to be waiting for that thing to happen as opposed to it catching them by surprise yeah well it kind of robs the power of it i would think okay which is what... maybe part of you know maybe Especially in the handmade tale, why it's kind of put in there. <laughs> yeah, but I imagine if you had been the victim of rape, you'd like a heads up. So maybe, okay, so what if we take educators out of the equation? What if it's just a warning on the inside of the book? Like, not the cover, just the inside thing. Just like, before you go see a movie, hey, there's some graphic depictions of violence in here. Just a heads up. Why not leave it up to the artist? It's their work. Do you really think Margaret Atwood, as she was writing The Handmaid's Tale, she didn't think, hey, you know, someone who was raped might read this someday. Oh, she wrote it anyway. Well, yeah, it doesn't mean don't write it. I'm not saying we shouldn't write upsetting things. I'm going the opposite way of that. I'm saying instead of trying to censor or ban upsetting things, you just warn someone like, hey, you're about to get into some shit. It's worth it, but, you know, just so you know, in case you've, you know, experienced similar upsetting shit. I think I saw it as, like, an alternative to this idea that we need to ban books because they have upsetting content. Like, as an alternative argument to that. No one wants to really ban books because they're upsetting. Usually it has to do with the politics behind it. All right, well, we've argued this one into the ground, and 
Yeah, I don't have a fucking answer either. Well, why do you think it's a problem? I didn't say it's a problem. I'm saying... No, yeah. If you're looking for a solution, you only look for solutions when there's a problem. That I said to the issue of people who want to ban books, you know, on the grounds that the content is just too much, that would just having a warning be an alternative to that? I would think to them, no. Because to them, it's not the fact that it's catching people off guard that they don't think anyone should be subjected to those ideas or those images. So you can warn people all you want. They don't think people should see it. Like pornography, you could tell the title could be Debbie Does a Dozen Dicks. And it's pretty clear what's about to happen. They're not suddenly okay with it because they think those images themselves are a non-starter for everybody. So you can have as many warnings as you want. It's a non-starter regardless if it's still there. So I don't see what problem you're solving. Right, that's fair enough. Well, why don't you just say that in the beginning instead of doing this tennis match shit? So no, the problem that you <laughs> see, I don't think warnings will be a solution. Okay. All right then. In the words of Monty Python, and now for something completely different. So, like you said, a lot of people say stuff, especially in terms of the U.S. banned book week, like, we won. This stuff isn't banned. You know, at best, it's challenged. We did it. This doesn't need to be a thing anymore. And while I did just read a whole bunch of goofy bullshit in terms of censorship, that doesn't make the concept any less fucking scary, I feel like. Like, I feel like we live in an age with more unfettered access to information than there has ever been. But it's also easier than ever to manipulate information and spread ideas both good and bad very, very quickly. And our attention spans are collectively shorter than ever before not because we're dirty filthy millennials but because there's just so much information slamming its scrotum into our face on a constant basis so i do kind of wonder if we stopped banned book week you know how long would it take for us to forget that outright bans on literature were a thing or you know on an international scale are still very much a thing i was thinking of the stuff you were saying before that though With so much media out there, it's much easier to self-censor and people put themselves in a media bubble where they only listen to what they think they like or would like. That's true. Which again would be a problem is if I'm given a warning about a book, I might go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like that. I'll stick to what I know. So what would it be different if you read the book and you go, oh, it has this thing I don't like it and I'm not even going to finish it. But you might already uh, be invested in a bit and you want to get through it. I suppose. But also, as you pointed out, as, as we're both saying, it is the information age. There's a TV show. People know what The Handmaid's Tale is about. I just grabbed it as an example because of the grounds on which it was challenged to be banned. There's the warning that it's TVMA? Yeah, I guess so. Then maybe you got to start re- uh, grading books. TVMA. Or, not TV. What would it be? Book MA. I mean, they do it for they do it for video games and like every other, virtually every other form of media. Right. So it's interesting that books... Are not. Well, I mean, you do got the ones that are like, this is in the kids section, this is the adult section. Or you have in Australia where they're like, you gotta be 18 before you can read this overrated Brett Easton Ellis book. Are you okay with ratings on video games? I don't know, because I feel like it's almost like a different kind of thing. Because it, I, I feel like that was more because like parents don't pay the fuck attention to like what they buy for their kids. And you got like, a little eight-year-old kid being like, I want Grand Theft Auto. And the mom's just like, cool, neat, video games, bright, colorful things for the children. And, um, you know, then they put it on, and he's like, gun-murdering prostitutes or something. But ratings on movies and video games do serve as soft bands. 
It's true. It is a soft ban. There's actually been a whole long history of people having problems with the, the Motion Picture Association of America and how they choose to decide to rate things and what, like, the grounds and basis are. Like, there was well, a, a documentary that came out, I don't know how long ago, I believe in, like, the 2000s, um, that was called, like, Bully, and it was about bullying and this, like, kid's experience with, like, systemic bullying and things like that, and it was meant to be a thing for school-age kids to see and, like, kind of understand and stuff, and the MPAA was like, we're gonna rate this R. Ah, no kids can see it now. Well, trigger warning would be put on a book by some unnamed, no-faced corporation who gets to decide what is racist or violent to warn people and can change public perception of a book before anyone else happens to read it. Yeah, there's always that problem. It also affects movies, right? The movies that are rated R versus PG-13 make different amounts of money. True. Because of how they're rated. So the same thing would happen with books. That if A Handmaid's Tale came out and Handmaid's Tale was rated MA, well, we can't MA or some equivalent rating. We can't teach that in high school. Can't teach that in middle school. You know, maybe college they can handle it, but so all those sales to high schoolers, that's not going to exist. And so why would someone write that book now? Okay, but GTA still makes untold amounts of money, even with an MA rating. Some can't be (laughs) successful, but some might not be. I don't know. People are fallible and terrible in every sense of the word, so I guess we just let books be books. Video games also have microtransactions. Yeah, that's the real monster, Jesus. At least when you get a book, you get the whole fucking book and you don't want... Hey, you, you want, like, the bonus chapter to this book? Send me five bucks. <laughs> you want the alternate cover? Here's another five bucks. Oh, wait, no, comic books do that. <laughs> get all the variant covers, assholes. But I'm afraid is if you start reading books, that you give people an actual way to then ban books from schools. Because then they know, hey, if we make it M.A., can't be taught in school, so we just got to find a way. Oh, someone smoked? That's rated R now. It doesn't stop people from doing it now. But now we know the law. And we know they can't ban it if it's because of politics, race, or just saying it's filthy. I suppose. And I guess yeah, there's a slippery slope between, hey guys, heads up, there's some rape in this book too. You can't read this book because there's rape in it. We just went a real long time without any jokes. We can only take this conversation so far because neither of us suffer specifically from PTSD due to an event or mental illness, which is not to say we do not suffer from any kind of mental illness, but that's that's neither here nor there. I, I, I do think we, it's we can't interesting. we can't speak to an experience that we haven't experienced. I do think it's interesting that the conversation usually about trigger warnings does focus on rape and not stuff like war, especially in a country where we have so many returning vets. Oh, this is going to be loud. There's going to be explosions. There's going to be depiction of war, violence, whatever. Well, that's the- what people tend to talk about when someone trivializes trigger warnings. You know, I was talking about rape again because Hamby's tail sitting right there. But, yeah, when people are saying something like trigger warnings are bullshit, it usually, you know, you want to turn the conversation to vets who have, like, PTSD where, yeah, like, fireworks are going to freak them the fuck out, you know? And so how do you possibly warn everyone? You're asking me rhetorical questions. Yeah, I'll try to get more out of you. No, because we'd already moved past this All right, point. bye. So, Don't Know the Class is a show dedicated to books that have managed to make a massive impact on the world. Sometimes when they were published, sometimes long after, and that society at large is found worthy of passing down, of telling kids, this is important, and you need to read it. Do these books 
and their writers sometimes need to have the piss taken out of them. God, yes. Did every book crammed down your throat during your school years deserve to be? God, no. Oh, just wait until we get to Heart of Darkness. Just fucking wait. But we're still a celebration of literature. God damn it. Sure, it's a drunk celebration with underwear on its head that probably just tried to drive a dirt bike off a roof and into a swimming pool, but even if we say a venerated piece of classic literature maybe isn't worth the read- <coughs> Oh, we dick! That sure as shit doesn't mean that we or anyone ever have the right to keep other people from reading it. From making any kind of choice. And... Yeah! Read on, motherfuckers! RJ, your final thoughts? Reading. Thumbs up. <laughs> it's fundamental. Do, 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 do. Dare to read. And that'll about do it for this episode of Onola Class, where it got a little heavy, a little serious there. We went to some places. We felt some things. We discussed some ideas. It was almost like we were a couple of mature, grown up, goddammit, there's the leaf man again, intellectual people. Or something. Which is just, you know, it's gross. I'm sure we will be back to our typical nonsense on our next episode. Oh, oh, wait! Our next episode! It'll be October! So, Oktoberfest. Shut up! <laughs> that means we can have spooky times! So... Books about beer. Look forward to books about spook spookiness, beer, spooky beers... This week's podcast, pals, which is definitely what I'm going to call it from now on until forever, are Matt and Phil from the show Semi-Intellectual Musings. But don't let the name fool you. Their musings are plenty intellectual, but honestly, they're just really funny, really interesting guys to listen to. And they made a special promo just for Bam Books Week. And oh, it's so good. I'm, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Here we go. Museums are dangerous. Zombies are dangerous. You know what else are dangerous? Books. On Semi Intellectual Musings, we talk a lot about dangerous stuff, especially books. From Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 to Orwell's 1984, or Atwood's A Handmaid's Tale, we don't shy away from books that make some people shy. Each week, we turn on a light in the attic to bring you confessions from the social sciences, humanities, and arts, where there are no outsiders, and together we uncover that it's not all quiet on the Western Front. So why don't you go ask Alice and follow us down some rabbit holes as we find out what's up on the animal farm. It's a jungle out there, folks, but it doesn't have to be a Catch-22. With the right howl and a little wrinkle in time, together we can enter the Chamber of Secrets and experience the unbearable lightness of being. From social theory to how to cook with green eggs and ham, our droll stories are as beloved as the great Gatsby. Join us at thesim.podbean.com, and remember, it's a brave new world out there. So grab your headphones and tune in to Semi-Intellectual Musings and enter the Age of Reason before we fly over the cuckoo's nest and it's all gone with the wind. If you like us... If you're a fan of me and Sweet Lips here, rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Hide under our bed at night and poke us in the small of our back. It's cool. We're into it. You can listen to us everywhere, always, and at onolaclass.com. We're there, hiding in the code. The next episode, the spooky, the spooky Times episode, will be coming out on October 12th. Thanks to Best Day, as always, for his lovely ear sounds. His lovely music sounds for your ears. 
Jesus Christ, we've been talking too long and I can't do words. So, until next time, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. Not Sweet Lips. We love you. Bye. Here we are. Here we are indeed. On this rock. This spaceship Earth. (laughs) Just spinning its way through the galaxy around this local star we've named the Sun. El Sol is what they call it in Espanol.